everybody, and welcome to the Talking CX Podcast. I'm here with Graham. Hi, Graham. How are you doing? Hi, Robin. Doing great. I'm really excited today that we have a guest here with us. His name is Jeff Sheehan, and he has graciously agreed to do a three-part series of podcasts with us. So the first podcast is going to be about CX prioritization. The next one is going to be about CX prioritization as it relates to ROI. And the third one is going to be about ROI and measurements, and it will relate that back to prioritization. Uh, Jeff has a new book that I um, we're going to talk about here in a minute. I'm really so, Jeff. I am really excited to uh, have you here. Uh, please go ahead and um, you know introduce yourself a little bit. Tell everybody uh, a little bit about your background and. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> Happy to. Uh, thanks so much. First of all, uh, Graham and Robin for having me out uh, on your on your podcast. I really appreciate the invitation and uh, and the time you made to do this. So thank you for that. Um, as you said, Jeff Sheehan. I am uh, an American living in Dublin, Ireland, uh, and have been working in customer service, customer experience roles for a little over twenty five years. And um, and then before that, I had spent ten years in the U.S. military after university. And um, as you mentioned, the, my, most, my book is uh, it's just launched and it's titled Customer Experience Management Field Manual, um, which is a bit of a combination of the, the two careers, right? That little bit of military metaphor runs through the book. Um, but it's really about, the book is really designed to help people build and refine a customer experience management program. Um, and, you know, when I was scratching my head wondering if I should even write one more CX book, I, uh, I went ahead and did this uh, bit of work over the last 18 months or so. Um, because I really felt there was, there was a bit of a gap in, in the literature of like a real practical desktop reference. How do I do this? How do I do that for CX? And, and I hope that this book is, uh, is, it treats that uh, topic, the topic of creating the new CX program. Um, as well as um, as people would like it to. It's great. Um, and by the way, having having kind of run through the book, one one thing is the field manual title um, reminds me of the one to one field book that Don Peppers and Martha Rogers published in the nineteen nineties, which was a you know a foundational piece of literature in the world of personalization, and thereby. You know, in today's digital first, but not digital only multi-channel world, a foundational um, book in the in the CX movement. So uh, it's really good stuff. But I particularly like the chasing customer expectations um, stuff that you put in it. And then a couple other things I really loved. One is you had the kind of listening, you know, feedback framework as listening, learning and acting rather than listening, analyze and acting, which I thought was very astute. And then you referred to special forces. So we, for a long time in customer results, have had this concept of a of a SWAT team, which is specialists with added tools for getting things done in CX and other spaces. So uh, it's definitely there. And we're going to buy um, 10 copies of it. And thanks to the power of Amazon shipping anywhere in the world, we'll, uh, we'll give those away to people who make comments on this podcast in the next in the next few weeks. So, Well, well I got to say, that's awesome. Thank you so much for that. That's great. And I appreciate your, your particular um, comments, uh, Graham, because... Um, 
you know, it's 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 a stab, right? You 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 when you write something, you you make your position known, and of course, in our in in this customer experience field, there are a lot of books, there are a lot of um, um, uh, well-known uh, folks like yourself and and so many others. You mentioned Don Peppers and so many others who have written books. Um, and again, what I was trying to do is also you know write in my own voice, but at the same time, um, write uh, something that or offer a book that was useful. That to me, the utility of it was really important to me. Um, not just platitudes or theories or strategies, but real like, if I need to write a CX strategic plan today, I could open this book and I could figure out how to do it with the help from this book. So that's, that's what I was going for. Yeah, I think you achieved that, by the way. Chapters are short, which I think is always a good thing. Uh, thank you. Yeah, that's great to hear. Thank you so much. We love feedback. <laughs> <laughs> I noticed that you have a lot of wonderful feedback on Amazon already on your book. So congratulations on that. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Well, I have to say uh, a a very big thanks to a global community of CX professionals, both uh, folks like, like us who are either on a vendor side or a consultant side, but also folks in organizations, CX practitioners in organizations, um, in this process of writing a book, I reached out to a number of people around the world for their feedback. So at a certain point in the manuscript, I was sort of done. I was sort of stuck, let's say, and I went out to the, the field to get feedback. And so many people gave me some really great stuff and made it a much, much better product than it would have been if I hadn't done that. And um, the feedback you're referring to, Robin, is, is um, from those from those folks who who, who contributed, um, you know, their their notes and feedback. In, in the in the in the in the writing process. That's wonderful. So, I, I guess when we're having our discussion here on CX prioritization, you're bringing a whole lot of people with you <laughs> to to have this discussion. So that's awesome. Um, and and so let's talk a little bit about our topic today. As as we've been doing here the last several podcasts, we've been uh, discussing the 2021 top CX challenges based on the survey that customer results did earlier in the year. And so one of the top three is CX prioritization. It's a uh, big challenge, and I know that it's come up as we've discussed different CX topics between Graham and I, and I'm always kind of interested in that part of it. Like, how do you figure out, you know, how you're going to prioritize this and how are you going to figure out what to do first and second and what's most important? And so um, seeing it, how it is the uh, one of the top three challenges, let's just talk a little bit about how critical to the success of an organization the CX effort is, you know, the ability to prioritize a CX initiative. How critical of a piece is that in your view, Jeff? Well, it's, um, I think it's contextual, right? I think the criticality can be um, really, really huge and it, or it could be, you know, sort of modestly consequential. In my view, a CX program isn't a one-size-fits-all proposition. You really have to understand what the organization means, how it defines customer experience management, and how it would operationalize customer experience management. 
Um, so if you're a software as a service company, for example, and you want to do digital first self-help so your customers don't call, not because you don't want to talk to them, but because they have told you they don't want to call. Um, and so how do you, um, you know, operationalize that and define that? So that's the CX program you're working under, right? And, and, it, and it's designed to achieve a certain amount of business outcome, a certain amount of customer uh, satisfaction outcome and, 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 and so forth. Um, and I would also say, you know, I talk about this quite a bit in the book is the alignment of a business strategy, a brand promise, and the CX program being something that helps fulfill the business plans and the, the brand promises of the organization. So it, it, I don't see CX necessarily being its own standalone strategy that's um, uh, not connected to the bigger uh, strategies of, of, of branding and, and, uh, and business objectives. Um, so I really think to answer your question, companies really have to spend some time and discuss and define and decide what CX is going to look like in their organization, because that's how you're going to define results. It's how you're going to decide uh, where you make investments, where you, you know, what criteria you use for establishing priorities and so forth. Uh, you know, like here in Ireland, I'll give you an example. There's a, a telco that is very internally focused, very operationally efficiency focused, and they're they're big on deflecting customer calls, which means they're implementing um, tools to like um, like AI and uh, chatbots and things like that, so that you're you're they're not using staff to respond to calls and they're trying to deflect calls. Um, but at the same time, they're losing customers and losing top line revenue because customers are very frustrated with the service and, and are characterizing this poor service. So while they're very internally focused and they've thrown tools at um, the interaction with the customer to, to save money, um, they've annoyed the customer by, um, by, not, get, you know, by, by not being accessible uh, for things like you know, problems with their bills or they wanna add people to the plan or take people out of the plan, et cetera. So, um, you know, CX is a priority in that organization, but they haven't figured out how to implement it so that it's both consequential to the business and its goals and, you know, supportive of the customer. Yeah, and I think that's a, I mean, that's a great point. I mean, when, when we look at the annual CX challenges survey that we do, the, the, you're kind of alluding to the prioritization challenge is, is mostly around initiative prioritization. So with, you know, audiences, communities, persona increasingly becoming fragmented with different personalization goals. To your point, many different channels, technologies like AI and machine learning. There's a, as, as my friend, Michael Hinshaw, one of the, you know, leading lights of, of CX out of MCorp CX says, you know, there's a thousand things you could do, a hundred things you should do, 10 things you must do. And I would argue in the era of COVID, maybe two that you can actually do. And so the challenge is, you know, where do you place your bets? And to your point, if you place them wrong, you know, you can, you can do some pretty serious damage to relationships with your customers that, that can be really hard to recover. So, uh, yeah, I think there's just a lot of stuff going on. So to follow up on your point, Graham, and what you've said, Jeff, what I'd like to do is, is ask you your top three factors that contribute to CX prioritization being such a challenge. So we know that ROI is one of the other top challenges in in the survey. And I know that ROI is a, a really huge contributing factor to 
what makes CX prioritization a challenge. So we're going to talk about that in a little bit. But in addition to ROI, Jeff, I'm going to start with you. Um, what do you think are the top three factors in making CX prioritization such a challenge? Oh, gosh. Um, besides ROI, I would say uh, going back to defining it, really, you know, I've seen this so often where organizations just buy a piece of technology and they think surveys and scores is the CX program. And, um, and, and that's when you start bumping into this ROI um, issue <clears throat> where um, the business has said, okay, now that we've asked customers all these surveys and we've gotten all these results and we do these monthly, weekly, whatever dashboards and reports, we're not making any more money. You know, we, 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 we need to connect it to the business. And um, so I would say defining is definitely a priority. Understanding what CX means to the organization. Um, then I would say culture. Uh, I, I would say that you know, so many organizations have a slide that says that they love their customers. It comes just before the slide where it says they love their employees. And, and yet the culture doesn't really, it, 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 it doesn't really operate that way. So, so culture being one of the most challenging things to tackle, but um, it's awfully hard to put customers first when you're a quarter to quarter financials focused organization and your culture is driven by, you know, whether you're publicly traded or, or not, you're driven by financials. Um, so, so I would say culture is definitely um, something that, that impacts CX um, in, a, in a very profound way. And that and was, was that two or? Yeah, oh, that's the third two. One. <laughs> I, <laughs> I would it. say, yeah, I would say, you know, back to a point I made earlier, you know, um, aligning your CX program, however it is defined and characterized and staffed and equipped and so forth, but aligning that CX function to the business goals and uh, the brand promises. So, you know, a lot of organizations say we love our customers and we're easy to do business with, <clears throat> but you find out that, that they're not. Or, um, you know, the old saying that Henry Ford is, is attributed with, uh, you can have any car, you, any color you want, one is black. Um, you, you know, aligning you know, the CX function to, to, to um, fulfill the brand promises and, the, and that are part of the marketing strategy or brand strategy, and, and then also the business goals, I think is, is huge. Too often, I think CX programs go off on their own and are disconnected from those, those, those key things. Okay, so the three things defining CX correctly, the organizational culture, and aligning CX with the organizational strategy. Um, okay, Graham, what do you see as the top three factors? I, I would, I would, I don't have a different top three, but I mean, I'd add, I'd add two that we see organizations struggle with continuously. One is what not to focus on. So. You know, prioritization by its very nature is about not doing some things. And it's it's often easier to gather up ideas of what to do than it is to to decide what not to do given limited resources. And then and then alongside that is untrue belief systems. So we have a, a little analogy we use a lot, right? Which is a Mark Twain quote, which is it ain't what you it ain't what you know that'll get you. It ain't what you don't know that'll get you. It's what you know that ain't so. And what's particularly funny about that is it isn't actually a Mark Twain quote. It's a quote from Daniel Patrick Moynihan, an American politician who attributed it to Mark Twain. So guess what? Even the quote is what you know that ain't so. So 
you know, the idea of kind of unwinding and some of that's your culture thing, Jeff, but how do you unwind those foundational beliefs that may have been true for 30 years, but are not true today in, you know, ever changing demographic shifts and audience shifts and experience shifts. And then aligned with that, how do you feed that into some kind of prioritization process that allows you to, to not focus on things when, you know, there may be some pretty powerful constituencies in your organization screaming that they're the things that need to be done or need to be invested mm-hmm. in. So that's really mm-hmm. hard. Yeah, yeah. And that, I would say that's a great point you make there, uh, Graham. That I would, and I would call that, I would put that under the, the special forces, right? Those invisible things like, you know, the alpha uh, personality who uh, gets what they want, even though it isn't exactly the, the best priority to, to invest in for the organization or or um, the folks who don't tell who don't challenge the boss, who don't challenge the the untrue thing. They just presume that it's that it's um, it's a limitation, and they 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 they, they move around it. So, um, yeah, very and, good. And, so, and some of it's really hard. I mean, Robin and I had a conversation on our last podcast. If she doesn't yell at me on this, in the world of employee experience, how do you decide which employees are more important than other employees? Right. And that's a very, very politically <laughs> volatile conversation. And so, well, uh, no, I, I, I think that's great. And the, the, the quarantine has raised, like, you know, has raised that question loud and clear, especially in the early days where, you know, wait a minute, uh, all of us have to work from home. But if I work at a grocery store, at a gas station, or I'm a nurse, you know, I, I'm considered a, a critical um, worker, right? Not just by an employer, but by a government, you know, where, where grocery store staff are now critical and were they so critical a year, the year before and uh, that's a good it's a very good point and i think it was pronounced uh, by by this quarantine business yep yeah when you see jeff when you go into an organization as a consultant how do you typically find organizations trying to prioritize cx initiatives and then I'm assuming that they need help and that's why you're there. And so what is your first recommendation to them usually when you go into an organization and see what the situation is and what they're doing? Yeah, well, if it's clear, um, that's a great question, by the way. Uh, if it's clear to the customer, like say they've done a, a some sort of audit and so they're very clear about what they have for resources and and how they've been uh, using those resources that exist. Um, you know, then it, it can become a bit of a planning uh, conversation around what they hope to accomplish and how to you know sort of repackage the resources to 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 achieve the thing or things that they want from their CX program. But oftentimes. Um, there isn't a consensus about what a CX program should do or, 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 or what it should consist of or, or how it should be defined. Um, and so that's usually the starting point is, okay, what, what is it you hope to achieve with CX? Because some of the, some of the organizations, particularly in the middle market, sort of privately held smaller kind of organizations, <clears throat> community banks and, and uh, family owned businesses, you know, they, they, uh, they, they want to do CX, but they're not sure where to get started. It's kind of the starting point. <laughs> so, so you, you're oftentimes defining things and, and coming up with terminology that, like customer centric. You'll hear that buzzword. And so if you can break it down into an operational definition for them, what does it mean to be customer centric um, in, in, in their organization? 
So that's usually where it, where it starts is, is just a, a, you know, a good investment of time and getting a, a consensus point of view to the degree that a consensus is possible on what CX is to that organization and what they want it to accomplish. Um, um, how important is it for them to tie their CX program back into their organizational goals? Oh, it's, it's, it's super important. Um, and, and I would say parallel to that, it's it's how is CX different? This is a question that comes up quite a bit. How is CX different than our customer service department? They already do that today. Why, why would we do CX? We're already doing that in our service group. And um, and having to explain and, and so, so that there is an understanding, an accepted understanding that customer experience is a horizontal across, you know, from awareness uh, customer awareness all the way through, you know, customer uh, lifecycle support and customer buying something again and so forth, and that customer service is is a is a is a touch point in 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 that overarching um, customer experience. When we talked about the top three factors prevent organizations from prioritizing their CX correctly. The third one you mentioned was alignment. And mm. I'd like to kind of go back to that and see if you'd like to expand on that a little bit. What does that look like when an organization doesn't align their you know, overall goals and objectives with their CX prioritization? Ah, okay, okay. Um, it's a bit messy. I, I'll give you an example. Um, I worked at a bank here in Ireland, which is a very good bank, and, and sadly, it's going to leave the Irish market in the next uh, in the near future. But it was the brand promise was, or the tagline for the bank was, "The Bank of You," and it talked about itself as a digital first bank. And when it first entered the market here in Ireland, uh, ten or so years ago, it was a uh, challenger bank, is how it described itself. So it had all this sort of sizzle around being a digital first bank of you and you would have thought personalization and fintech and you know mobile apps that can do all the things customers want to do you know whether it's split the bill at the restaurant or you know um, make it easy to pay with it with the with the contactless payment or um, apply for a mortgage approval uh, you know and, and on, on your phone or on, on a website etc but yet it didn't do those things by and large, or it did those things very sort of in, in, in half measures because the, the culture embraced lots and lots and lots of projects without a lot of prioritization. There was sort of a, an ongoing governance process that picked uh, projects to, to, to staff and budget um, a bit disconnected from the big uh, you know the bigger picture of, of of what the brand was trying to achieve in the market here in Ireland, and um, so it didn't achieve it, and that's one of the reasons why it's leaving the uh, the Irish marketplace. It it had so much potential, and it was on the right track, I think, for for a long time, but it, when it came to prioritization and the investment behind those priorities, um, I think a lot of I think there were a lot of bets that were misplaced, and. Um, uh, and, and ultimately, you know, the bank has just said, well, we're going to leave the Irish market. Um, and it's a lot of, you know, I won't go into Irish banking in, in Ireland so much, so deeply, but, but that, that was probably my best example of how there were so many 
good bets to make. And I think to Graham's point earlier, they really didn't do a good job figuring out what not to do and 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 stay very true to a, like a North Star of where to make their their investments that were aligned with their digital first um, personality, so to speak, or their um, bank of you brand promise. Yeah. Oh, I, I love the North Star analogy. Um, yeah. So, Graham, I'm thinking you've seen this quite a bit, too. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm so we've uh, we've kind of simplified the answer to this question specifically related to COVID, I think. And that is our answer to, you know, one one thing, one thing you must do, and that's the inability of organizations to listen. And so I forget who it was um, six, eight, 12 months ago who told me that, you know, whenever we have a, a recession and this one is global and more than just a recession, you know, the one thing we know with certainty is the customer experience expectations change dramatically. And right? the financial services recession in the Western world, it was helped by those pesky people at Apple launching the iPhone in 2008 and then the iPad right in the middle. Um, but you know, we're seeing massive shifts. I mean, as you mentioned, work at home, um, increasing digital for, for people, um, just just lots of different things. And so our general definition is anybody who tells you they know what customer experience expectations are going to be in the middle of 2022 is either a, a fool or a highly paid visioning consultant, um, maybe both. And, uh, and so what we see organizations is the thing that they really need to feed into their prioritization strategies is the voice of the customer. And so, so many organizations are deaf as far as their customers are concerned. And so it's like, if you can only invest in one thing, you know, start by bringing the voice of the customer through every channel, you can get it into your business so that you can hear them screaming at you, telling you that you're doing the wrong things. Because in many times the, the voice of the executive is so overwhelming or the voice of the shareholder in the case of public companies, that they just can't hear the customers screaming or, or or applauding, whichever way. And so that's our our one thing answer these days. It didn't used to be as clear two or three years ago. It used to be it depends. Um, and I think all the things you're talking about, Jeff, are absolutely critical. Um, but if you can't hear your customers, nothing else will really matter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, and I think that, uh, and I talk about this in the book, if you're a CX leader today and you lack Let's say the positional authority or the you know the the the, the title etc. Um, one of the one of the sources for authority is the voice of the customer. If you hear your customers speaking loud and clear about what they want or what they don't want or or responding to something you, you're you're offering what whatever whatever that voice is saying, that is in my in my view uh, a source of authority to to examine uh, and and get the attention. Um, of that board or that uh, you know, C-suite to um, to pay attention to to um, you know what your customers talking about. Yep. Yeah. So so Jeff, I really like your example for you know the one that you chose from Ireland, and I'm wondering um, what do you see any differences between what happens in Ireland and what tends to happen in the U.S. or just kind of what happens in the U.S. in general and, and not just Ireland, but, but Europe, which, which is one of your, your main areas that you work with? Um, 
Yeah, I would say that because I thought about this a lot, and I and I talk about this a lot too. Because I I'm sort of a I'm a I'm a very typical American when I go out into the the marketplace, and you know I, I expect service when I go to a restaurant. I don't I don't uh, uh, or when I go to a, into a shop, and I think that's one of the things I've noticed is here in Ireland, it's a much smaller place. You know, there's only five million or so people here in the Republic. Um, there's a lot less competition. Um, for, for anything and, 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 uh, you know, whether it's house, you know, building materials or, 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 uh, groceries or, or whatever it might be, there's just a lot less competition. Um, banking, in fact, I mentioned, uh, a bank is leaving, there's actually two banks leaving the Irish market and those exits, which haven't happened yet, but they, their, their forecasts happen, are, are causing concern because there won't be enough competition in banking in Ireland. It gives you a sense of how small a thing is. So, um, yeah, I, I find that the the um, cultural difference between, um, you know, I would say a, a sort of service oriented and a service expected American culture, um, and here it's just quite a bit different. So do you see any difference between Ireland and Europe in general, or is it pretty close to the same thing you just described? Yeah, I think, I think the, the, the sort of common uh, denominator, I would, I, would, I would say, across Europe, you know, there are much smaller markets. Um, you know, I've joined a very new organization called the European CX Organization, and we do talk about this. And, and part of what was uh, the reason for creating that organization was to sort of separate CX, the conversation around CX, from the U.S. model. And not because the U.S. model isn't good or, or whatever, but, you know, when you're using companies like Zappos and Amazon and Apple and, and, and USAA and, and, uh, and Google, you know, that, that's not going to fly. That really, there's no equivalent for that in Hungary or France or, um, or, or in, in maybe even the U.K. So, so the, the European CX organization is really um, addressing that localization for CX um, but generally, the markets are much smaller than, than certainly than the U.S. market, um, and so they do deal with things like um, uh, maturity. You know, how, how do we how do we go from being reactive with our CX and looking at um, at the past to to do something now to maybe becoming a bit more uh, predictive. So that we can see root causes, and we can fix those things, and we can you know, make improvements that are forward, more forward-looking. Um, you know, that, the, those are big shifts in, in 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 smaller markets than than they might be in the U.S. Graham, what what do you think? Have you seen any changes between the U.S. and Europe when you talk to people there? I mean, there are to Jeff's point. I mean, the European. European market, not meaning the EU, but the European market is is clearly much more fragmented than the than the US market, right? I mean, there are differences between states in the US, but but nowhere near the difference between, say, you know, Italy and Ireland, or you know, Estonia and and Germany or whatever. So I think it's a, but I, I think the, I mean, I think the the overarching piece and two things that we've definitely seen. One one is just the the US market in business specifically. It's just ferocious, right? I mean, it is, you know, it is it, with the exception of China and India, um, it is the largest contiguous marketplace, economic marketplace in the world. It's the place where 
um, everybody wants to come and play, right, in, in thought leadership or in technology. And so, um, you know, we just see the ferocity of the marketplace. And then, um, and, and I know a lot of people around the world who comment on this all the time, the U.S. does tend to suffer from this idea that we believe we know how it should be done for everybody. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, and I, I see in other countries, whether it's Ireland or Germany or Australia or China or India, there's there's much less of that idea that the model that's a, that's developed in that particular market is automatically applicable to everybody else. You know, it's uh, to your point, Jeff. When you know, if you use Amazon and Zappos and USAA and 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 as your examples, you know, increasingly quite correctly, we see the eye roll happen. Um, <laughs> and, we're, and we're doing and we're we're doing we're actually doing business with a couple of massive American-based companies who are, you know, I think probably four times a week the conversation comes up and it's it's ended with the words and then there's prc right and so there's kind of this recognition that china is so significant and so different in so many different ways that you know it's the first time almost in 30 years of being in the us that i've heard you know almost every company come up with the same words right and then there's prc um I mean, other countries are very different, but they're not such a massive economic opportunity that people pay attention to it. So I, I just, I just think, you know, as I said, the ferocity of the market here is just, you know, a company, a company can make a few CX mistakes in the United States, and a 50, 60 year old brand can be eviscerated. Um, whereas we see that being a, a, a lot more nuanced and a lot longer, longer tail in in the European market specifically. Yeah. Well, I, I want to say is there is a unique aspect. To the Irish market here, which is um, probably due to its 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 the corporate tax um, treatment that that Ireland extends to companies that land here, but there's a lot of American companies here: you know, Google, Facebook, Amazon, Microsoft, uh, Log Me In, Airbnb, HubSpot. There's just so many. If you if, you, if I could take you through Dublin, uh, you'd see all these great big gorgeous uh, glass buildings that are that are empty, but they're they're temples to the European headquarters of of American companies. Um, and I do think that culturally, you know, that, that customer experience um, uh, thought leadership from the U.S. parent company makes its way into the Irish market by way of, you know, a lot of the, the, the U.S. Uh, employees or just that, that culture uh, makes its way here. So, so there is that sort of other dimension of, of CX in Ireland, which is, you know, basically the import of, of American CX into these um, the, the European headquarters that are that are based here, um, so I do think that you get a good sort of pollination, but for the organic Irish middle market company and the bigger company, I think the biggest employer in Ireland is a private company called Musgrave. They have um, convenience stores and grocery chains and a few other businesses, um, very focused on customer service, family run. I think it's like a nine billion euro. You know, enterprise it's huge um, employs tens of thousands of people. Very, very focused on customer service, um, just as an organic Irish, you know, company. Great. So, thanks, Jeff. That, that's perfect. We've we've heard the perspective of you know, European perspective on how CX 
uh, is being practiced and how prioritization is somewhat unique in Europe. And of course, in uh, in Ireland as well, that great story about the uh, the Irish Challenger Bank and even comparing and contrasting to the United States. And, and uh, both of us agree that not everything in the world has to be done the American way, which I think is absolutely perfect. And that's one of the things I think makes Jeff a very special voice in the CX movement, you know, giving us that additional perspective. Yeah, it's a really valuable thing to have. It's something that we don't hear very much. And I'm really glad that we got to bring that into this podcast. Yeah, and before we talk about where we're going from here, Robin, I did want to kind of jump in and, and again, in, in promotion of that very special voice that Jeff has and his his exciting book, The Customer Experience Management Field Manual, uh, we're going to give away uh, 10 copies of the book to uh, the first people to come to us and send us a message, make a provoking comment, uh, maybe even feed into something we can feed into one of our other podcasts. But if you want to uh, contact us using our uh little voice connector thingy, or you can send us an email, you know, the usual ways, then we will happily uh, send you a copy of Jeff's book if you're one of the first 10 people to do that. So the, the, the voice thingy that Graham is referring to is, is our recording microphone on our website that you can find by scrolling, scrolling down to our contact page. You can contact us through there. You can contact us through Twitter or LinkedIn or email. Any kind of contact, right, will be the right one to win that book. Perfect. Can't wait to hear from you. Yeah, that'll be great. And then let's talk a little bit about our next podcast coming up in our three-part series. Specifically our next, you know, this three-podcast series looking at prioritization, looking at ROI, and looking at measurement. Um, we're going to talk more deeply about uh, CX return on investment and and how CX ROI relates to uh, the prioritization conversation we've just been having. Great. A big thank you to Jeff Sheehan, and we are looking forward to seeing you next time. And in the meantime, do CX right. And do it right now. Thanks, everybody.